be starting soon. Okay, uh, Nick, thanks so much for joining um, our class today. Um, what I'd like to do is just start off by um, having you introduce yourself and then tell us um, what, uh, what you do for a living. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, Mike. And hey, everybody, I'm a Glumberg South alumni, class of 2005. So, always enjoy. Yeah, 2005. Are you the same class as Steve Galanis or one ahead? It's one ahead. So, he was, I think, 06. So, he's okay. a year older than me. Yeah. yeah. Two, two Greek entrepreneurs trying to find their way in the world. That's right. So, Steve was in at the beginning of this uh, of first semester, like he was previously. So. Right. His thing's going off the charts. It's going great. Yeah. So what do you do for a living? So I've started a couple different companies. So I started, um, I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Hunt Club. And Hunt Club is a next-gen recruiting company. So we use, you know, basically referrals and introductions from business leaders to help companies find awesome, great new talent and hire someone awesome. And then, um, and I also started a small venture capital firm called New Coast Ventures, where we're investing in different startups, different ideas, different concepts to build businesses. Very cool. I was wondering, I want to touch on both of those and ask you a number of other things, but can you talk a little bit about the mechanics of um, Hunt Club? Like, how does it actually work? Um, how yeah. do you guys make money? Why do people, you know, need your services? Yeah, yeah. So the way that works is basically we have different leaders and executives and people with awesome networks sign up on our platform. They actually can upload their contacts. So all the people that they know, they do that through either uploading um, Gmail, so integrating their email or actually uploading their LinkedIn accounts. Uh, a lot of kids in your class probably don't have LinkedIn yet, but they will one day. Um, and so, so once they upload that, we build a bunch of technology that essentially allows us to understand how well two people know each other, uh, the strength of that relationship. And the, the cool thing we do is we give those business leaders the opportunity to refer their friends for our customers' open jobs. So for working on a VP of marketing search for Dollar Shave Club, we can have hundreds of marketing leaders all referring from their network to make or help our customers find great talent. And so the value is um, really, and why people need it is it's really hard to find great, credible, trusted talent. And the best people usually know really great folks in the space. So we really kind of help facilitate that process. And can you just talk a little bit about um, what that industry, I'm going to call it headhunting and maybe there's another yeah. maybe executive search. Can you just like, explain how that industry works? And then I think that'll provide more context to how your solution is yeah. disrupting that a little bit. Yeah. So companies pay recruiting firms, big ones, small ones in a wide range of different business models to help them find and assess and ultimately land great talent. So. Many of them only get paid once somebody takes a new job. Um, some of them get paid regardless if someone takes a new job. Uh, and there's lots of different variances of business models, but the primary industry is predicated on helping someone find a great new job at a company that's hiring. So the best jobs want the best people working for them, and so they pay somebody else to help find that person, right? Yeah, yeah, and usually it's the, the reason why you do it, because like, there's a lot of companies that have great brands where people apply and sometimes you wouldn't need a recruiting service to help you or an external recruiting service. There's a lot of companies that hire um, their own internal recruiters to help facilitate getting great people in. So the reason why you would use an external recruiting firm in general is either it's a really specialized hire that's difficult to find. So you need to pay somebody that maybe has an expertise in it. You're growing so fast that your internal team can't actually handle the volume and how you're scaling kind of similar to Steven's business. And then um, 
or you just really trust a party or a group to kind of help you find the best people and you're okay with the expense of it because of the quality that's coming in. So usually, those are usually the three reasons why people use it. Very cool. Thanks for that explanation. I was wondering if we could um, go back a little bit to your origin story and talk a little bit um, about, we know you went to Pembroke South. Mm-hmm. Um, where'd you go to college? What did you study? What did you do while you were there? And then, uh, then we'll pick up after that. Yeah, yeah. So graduated Pembroke South in 2005. My whole life was tennis up until 2009. So I went to Vanderbilt University, played on their tennis team there for four years. Um, had some really good teams, some really bad teams when I was there. So we were anywhere between 75 in the country to 20 in the country. Um, basically majored in tennis. So spent all my time playing tennis there while I was there and trying to have some fun while I could. But I, um, I did double major in communication studies and then uh, our version of our business school, which is managerial studies, corporate strategies. So you actually kind of got to pick your own major in business and add classes to it. So it was, it was a great program. And um, graduated in 09 and then did a really cool program via our MBA program that was basically a foray into consulting. Um, and then got kicked out of the real world. All right. So then, um, so after Vanderbilt, after tennis, um, what was your first job? Did you work as a consultant or did you go straight into the startup world? It took me actually two years to get my first corporate job. So I graduated in 2009, which was the last recession. Right. Um, Here we are again. <laughs> hopefully this isn't a recession, but the last recession. And, um, and it was really tough because I know I never interned anywhere. I really didn't spend time building relationships aside from playing a sport. So I, uh, my first job out of school, I was actually Northwestern's women's tennis coach for a year. And so it was a really cool first job, great team. We were number one in the country nearly most of the year. Um, won Big Tens, won an indoor national championship, and it was a lot of fun. And so after that, I went and worked for a small, actually right across the street from Glenbrook South on, uh, do you know where Glassworks is? Yes, right off uh, Westlake Avenue. Yeah, so right across the street from Glassworks, there's a small glass company called, it was called Rareform Architectural Products. And this guy was like this great entrepreneur. He had this really cool small business, and he built things out of glass and metal. So he built like the... Sears Tower, Willis Towers lobby. Um, he built like the storefront of a couple hotels. So like really cool things. So I went and worked for him for like eight months. Um, friend of a dad got the job and um, for me and then uh, and then did that and then basically used that experience to springboard to um, ultimately get a job at consulting shortly down the road. All right. So then how long did you last in consulting before you they had enough of that? Yeah. Two years, but I almost quit after three months. Um, so Can I got talk about what consulting is. I think sometimes we hear the term consultant and it can mean almost anything. What were mm-hmm. some of the types of responsibilities that you had as a consultant during those two years? Yeah, so we I worked for KPMG in their advisory practice. So it's their consulting division and really our projects were around strategy and technology. So how large companies, you know, in the pharmaceutical space, in the banking space, use technology to further business strategically and then actually tactically. So one of the banks, one of the projects we're on, they they wanted to switch payments processors. So helping them figure out which is the best one to use and why. And one of the pharmaceutical companies wanted to onboard a bunch of software to make their lives more efficient from a project management perspective. So they hired us to help us integrate that. So it's really like a high level solving business problems. We, we just solve those problems for large fortune 500 companies. 
Very cool. Can you tell us a little bit about your first startup that I believe was in the fitness space? Yeah, there was actually, there's one was before that, before that actually, okay. so the real first one was, um, it's actually how I got my job at KPMG. So I built a, a software platform with our CTO today and my good friend, Scott, um, called Athlience. And it was basically LinkedIn groups or like Facebook groups for student athletes and alumni. So the whole idea was when you play a sport in college, it's like this really technical group and you can usually like resonate with that group regardless of like what age or walk of life you came from. So we wanted to basically build an online community to put everybody together and built it, launched it, grew it to about 2000 student athletes and alumni. Um, we got Northwestern and Vanderbilt to pay us $50 a month for, for using it, for making $100 a month. And that wasn't nearly enough money for two 24-year-olds to live. So um, Scott and I had to go get jobs, but I used that experience actually to get into KPMG because I had no formal business experience. So I wanted to pause here for a second because earlier um, first semester, we had our students read an article that you wrote about how sort of the startup is the new college or the new MBA. I forget exactly how you were framing it, um, but can you talk about how, um, or maybe just elaborate what your point was um, about going and trying to make a startup. Like, how is that um, an alternative to, or maybe a complement to, a traditional education? Yeah, I think it can be both, depending on what path you take. So, I think if you look at a lot of the statistics and like the cost of traditional college education these days, against like the amount of debt you sort of have to take on it's not as compelling of an argument to actually go that route anymore. Um, and I think the other really interesting thing that's happening in the world is, you know, I bet most of your students are really great at using online apps and using mobile apps and communicating through technology. So a lot of our generation is, and certainly generations younger have been built and rooted in using tech. So, you know, I think the the point is, you know, in tomorrow's world, it looks like a totally different skill set, which are digitally native skills. How do you build software? How do you design software? How do you use software? Um, how do you sell software? And that generation is really well equipped to understand it really well. So I think um, knowing that that's the way the world's going and knowing that worry, we have an up and coming class of students and, and kids all over the world that have grown up in that age and understand it really well. Um, I think they're really well equipped to actually not take a traditional path of you know, dumping hundreds of thousands of dollars for an education that maybe they don't really use um, as much as as they would, you know, a couple decades ago. So I think, you know, I loved my college experience, but like knowing how much I've learned from starting and building a business from scratch, even some of the unsuccessful ones, learned infinitely more doing that than I have, you know, spending four years in business classes or even, you know, half a decade working proper jobs. So yeah, I wanted to sort of dive back into that. So like you had this startup at Lions and you know, he made a hundred dollars a month. It's but two yeah. We're rolling um, it. it like 12 Chipotle burritos. <laughs> approximately. Yeah. Um, so it's so like, how did that then get you into, you know, what would be by most standards, a prestigious consulting position? It's like, how was that more important, you know, having a failure of a startup compared yeah. to, um, you know, having an undergrad from a prestigious school like Vanderbilt. Yeah, I think, I think when, especially when you're in the experienced labor market, so I'd already been like in the workforce for two to three years. So they weren't really hiring undergraduates into junior entry level positions. So I had to enter through kind of this experience channel. 
Um, and then actually running a recruiting business, you see this a lot too. I think what people are really looking for are, is talent or, or people that jump off the page, have a unique story, have done something different, um, can show commitment and follow through to doing something. And I think one of the things I was fortunate enough, I didn't really think of it at the time, but like by building that business, designing a software product from scratch, going out and getting a couple thousand users, convincing somebody to give me money for it. Um, you know, not too many people have done that. So I think when I was sharing that experience with the managing director over at KPMG, they, they thought that was really unique. Um, and they thought it was something that may lend itself in an, in an entrepreneurial environment, which a lot of consulting firms are. So, you know, I think it, it a lot of times as people are looking for what to do next, I think it's more about just like, how do you jump off the page and share a unique and authentic experience? Because like, people are unique and authentic and they should talk about what makes them different. And I same for like college essays and, and everything that your students are going through, like be different, find a way to jump off the page. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a big difference between, you know, having read several case studies on marketing or, you know, having read several case studies on conceiving of an idea versus actually conceiving of an idea and then bringing it to fruition and having to follow through to get users and to actually have that real life experience is, is truly invaluable. Um, can we talk a little bit about uh, um, New Coast Ventures and maybe talk about yeah. exactly what a venture capital um, you know, firm is and then maybe how you vet projects uh, to, to back? Yeah, so New Coast is a, it's a hybrid venture firm. So we're investing in startups and then also incubating, building different businesses ideas. So we've invested in close to 40 companies and then have started three, three or four now. Um, and so really what a venture capital firm does is they make bets on, on highly speculative and highly risky ideas and businesses and entrepreneurs that you know, either pan out or don't. It's different than investing in the stock market where you can get your money out. Usually your money is kind of stuck until there's an exit. Um, and also the the way that they grow is at a faster rate than a traditional small business that, you know, maybe investing in a pizza store or investing in a, um, you know, a bookstore or something like that. So, so basically what the business is and you invest, you get a portion of the company. And then when that company exits or goes public, or gets acquired, um, you get your money back and hopefully a really nice multiple. Very cool. And can you talk about um, any of the businesses that you, like any of the specific businesses that you've invested in? Or maybe that's um, secret yeah. that you can't share, but. No, 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 it's probably, it's good. Um, so I'll give you a couple really cool ones. So we invested in a company called HipCamp, which is um, booking campground, both private and public. So if you're looking to like, with some buddies to go on a really cool camping trip in Montana and you want to find like a unique fishing creek and you know they can actually give you the ability to book someone's private land and set up a tent there and hang out for a few days or if you're in Yosemite and you want to find a really cool you know lodge they actually have that hooked up as well so it's their their whole play is that a lot of the world is looking for more things to do outside and they provide like the most seamless access to it so that's a really cool company um we invest in another company that does um basically helps you, helps it automate all the paperwork for adoptions agencies. So really it's just software to help families find a better path to the burden of filling out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different documents to go through the entire paperwork process. Um, they're called Binti, they're based in San Francisco, they're doing quite well too. So, you know, quite a few different things. And then we invested in actually, have you heard of um, Classkick? Classkick? Yeah, check them out. They're okay. cool. They do basically, it's um, 
online learning. So the ability to give assignments, create different content, grade and interact with students all via uh, application. So, you know, wide, wide range of different things. Very cool. Um, do you have a framework that you use when you are thinking about what companies you want to invest in? Is it the idea? Is it the entrepreneur? Is it the combination of the, uh, of the two? Are you only in certain verticals? You just said no, but <laughs> yeah, well, no, how do you think about it? It's like the, the, the investments that have done the best have been usually institutionally led. And so what I mean by that is they've got a really big known investor that writes the biggest check and then other investors can come in and write small checks alongside of them. Um, usually an entrepreneur that is like obsessed with what they're doing, like almost to the point where it's, you know, they seem a little crazy. So if you talk to Alyssa over at HipCamp, she's their CEO. You know, the way she talks about like getting her team outdoors, going outdoors, taking breaks to be outdoors, like it's, it's almost like she's a little manic. So I think um, the best entrepreneurs are really obsessed with what they're doing and that gives them sort of the, the energy to propel through it regardless if it's not working or not for a while. So I think those are the two biggest data points is like the deals that have done the best are betting on entrepreneurs that love what they're doing, um, betting entrepreneurs that are experts in what they're doing and maybe spent a career in a particular space and now are building a new business in it. Um, or, um, you know, are backed by a certain investor and have one of those two other ingredients too. You usually Very see cool. the DNA. Very cool. Um, so I want to uh, try to keep this relatively short and want to go down one path. I, I didn't give you a heads up on this one, so I'm going to put you on this on the spot. Um, okay. One of the topics of our class that we did not get to prior to going to this e-learning phase is sales. So I'm wondering if you have any sort of general advice in the topic of sales uh, for um, either entrepreneurs or people that are just wanting to enter into the business um, world. How do you warm a lead, so to speak, um, when you're thinking of selling what you do? Yeah, I think for us, it's all about relationship building. So we kind of offer a pretty unique service with New Coast or, or excuse me, with Hunt Club where most people need to hire people. For the most part, like all businesses that we work with to some degree will have hiring needs in a not in a non-COVID-19 environment. Um, so a little bit less now, but it'll ramp back up. So um so really for us it's about storytelling, how we can help, sharing some of our customer successes that we've had and giving unique thoughts and value on their business and what they should might be looking for. And I think, you know, the best salespeople you ever met in your life never you never actually know they're selling. Um, their storytelling, their adding value and helping you in ways that make you build a connection with that person. And they're, um, they're really consulting and trying to give you nuggets of information and knowledge that allow you to run your business in a better way. And so usually by building those foundational layers, you can, um, you can build a really great trust and bridge between two people, which allows you to transact in some form of business down the road. So it's like, we always think about like, how do you help first? Um, how do you teach or, or educate second? And then kind of how do you sell third maybe? Cause it's usually, you know, no one, no one really likes the idea of sales, but, but it's what makes business go around and everyone needs products and services. So I feel like a lot of young people um, really only have an experience in sales of like door to door candy sales for youth baseball or, or you know, cut -cut. sales for our cut, but even cut codes, maybe not even there yet, um, you know, for high school students. But um, I, I love what you said that 
like rooted in everything is that what you guys are selling is something that people really need. They need to find the best people for their job. And so once you can have a product that people are looking for, then it's more about relationship building and problem solving. Uh, what oh. I think makes the the sales part of it sound uh, or, or feel less salesy in, in terms of how a lot of people associate with sales. Totally. Yeah, I think it's like the in the future, the word sales may even change, right? Like it's called a lot of people talk about revenue generation. It just it's it, it, it is important. But like, I almost wonder if it does change at some point because it still has oddly a negative connotation, right? And it shouldn't. It's about how do you give somebody a product or service that helps them? Right. Great. Um, so one final question and then we'll uh, let you leave. You know, it's already almost nine o'clock here. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this late. Sure. Um, what advice would you have for young people um, either going into college or thinking about starting their own entrepreneurial venture? Yeah, I think for going into college, maybe I'll blend the two questions. So the, in college, you'll never be in a better environment where you're surrounded by thousands and thousands of people on like a really dense proximity, right? So you can reach them really quickly. Um, and also be around so many smart people that are ambitious, that can help you, whether it's your professor, professors or students in your class, or just the local ecosystem. So I think like building a business or trying to build a business while you're in college, even if it doesn't work out, it can be like one of the most rewarding experiences. I'll give you a quick story. So one of my, um, my co-founder, my CTO, built a business called Brandscombe Trash. Um, and so what he did was uh, he set up like a really simple website where you could put your dorm room number in, um, set up the time that you wanted him to pick up your trash and, and like you could pay him 25 bucks a week or something like that. I forget what the amount of money was. And, um, and so he did this, he threw it up and he was making like three, 400 bucks a week just walking around you know, picking up other people's trash. And that can and he, go a long ways in college. Yeah, so it, like, it, I don't think it worked out that well for him socially for a while, but like, <laughs> he made that kind of money. Um, and eventually the university shut him down, which I still think was kind of, you know, stunting entrepreneurship, not helping it. But the point is like, when you're in college, you have many resources, you're around a ton of potential customers, you know, your students um, or other students and your classmates. So I think it's, it's a really cool time to actually think about starting a business. And I think the advice or give around starting a business is like find something that you're just obsessed with that you love that, you know, brings you joy and feels like you've enjoyed others in the world and just go do it and try and charge somebody for it. And if you can get them to buy it, you've got a business. That's great advice. Well, Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Hopefully next year, uh, you know, we won't person. shut down and we'll be able yeah. to do this in person. So stay safe and uh, give my best to your family and uh, hope to see you soon. Likewise. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate yeah. it.